0: If you have your Bibles, please turn to them to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. As you're turning there, just to piggyback on a couple of announcements, what a blessing it was at the work day yesterday. Thank you to everybody who came out and who is sore and tired this morning. Uh, We have more work to be done, and so if you want to stop by any day this week, I think there's some deacons that will put you to work. So come on by as we move our offices there. And also very excited that we're going to be able to host Vacation Bible School in this new facility. We still need a few volunteers, uh, teachers. Uh, we need folks who can help design sets, uh, folks who can help just with manual labor and things like that. And so if you would like to help in any way, not just teaching children, but anyway uh, see Lauren Davenport and she will find you a job. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 24 as we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. This is God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word to us this morning. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning to study your word spoken to us, written for us, and even this sermon here preached by our Lord Jesus. And we freely confess at first reading these words seem difficult to understand and even cryptic. Father, you have promised us that the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will come and will take the things known to you and make them known to us. And so, would you teach us now? We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We well, may have heard it, heard me allude to a few times uh, this uh, this these past few months as I've preached on Sunday mornings with a very raspy voice, but I've been coaching an eight year old baseball team this year. It's been a joy, but it has been a, a quite the challenge. Uh, it's some years. It's been just some games. Just been rough. Am I doing a good job? Am I encouraging these young men? Uh, am I teaching them what I'm supposed to be teaching them about life and being a man and what the place of sports is? And so, this last game, uh, as I had a, a mentor help me out with with coaching. They were discouraged after losing a game. And so I looked at them and I said, guys, you want to know something? I want you to guess how many games I won when I was eight years old. I looked at them and they began to kind of throw out some numbers and guess. And they said, well, how many? And I said, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember and I don't think anybody could remember how many games they won and whatever they were doing when they were eight years old. And what I was trying to teach them and certainly what I was trying to teach myself is if all that we're living for is just winning, then we're not living for much. If all we're living for is winning, if all we're living for is money, if all we're living for is success and honor, If all we're living for is hoping that at the end of the day or the end of our life that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, then we have misplaced our values in this life. If we're living for those things, we have misplaced our values because the point is this, and all of the Sermon on the Mount is about this. We must live for the King and for His kingdom. Life is about living for the king and his kingdom. That is what the Sermon on the Mount is about, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's about kingdom living. Jesus is teaching Christians. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching his followers how they are supposed to live and to act in the world that he has placed them in. And that's what this section is about. Jesus is giving us marching orders for kingdom living. And here this morning before us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 19 through 24, we have marching orders from the king. And so Jesus means to teach his disciples that kingdom living is about being loyal to the king and his kingdom. Kingdom living is about being loyal to the king and And his kingdom. And so Jesus is going to illustrate this principle for us by using three aphorisms. All right? There's your $100 word for the morning. Okay? Aphorisms. A P H O R I S M S. Aphorisms. These are pithy sayings, kind of rememberable sayings to help apply a principle. And so Jesus uses three aphorisms that have to do with. Treasure, light, and slavery. That's what these, this passage is about, these three aphorisms. Treasure, light, and slavery. So again, an aphorism is kind of a, is a pithy uh, uh, saying, kind of a memorable saying that, that illustrates a truth, such as, I've used this one all the time, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, <laughs> Right? You've heard that saying before. And so Jesus here, he's the the king of, of aphorisms, of these memorable sayings that we use in everyday life. And so this morning as we dive into this passage, there are going to be some aphorisms, some memorable sayings that I bet you remember, have even used yourself. And so the first here, the first aphorism, the first illustration that Jesus talks about here in the Sermon on the Mount, in verses 19 through 21, is treasure. Treasure. And the principle of this teaching is fairly clear to us. You've said it before in your common sayings, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What does Jesus mean by this? Jesus is teaching the kingdom value that we are to be heavenly-minded rather than worldly-minded. Jesus is calling us to be heavenly-minded rather than worldly-minded. The teaching here is that we, are all, that we all store up for ourselves. We all lay up for ourselves treasure. Okay, that's what Jesus implies here. This is not in and of itself a bad thing that we lay up for ourselves treasure. Jesus is not teaching here that having treasure or having possessions or having money is a bad thing. We must not believe that errant teaching, that if you have possessions, you have treasures, then you don't really get the gospel. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. And this even reminds me of one of the most often misquoted verses in the entire scripture. You've heard this saying before, and people have said it with biblical authority. You know, money is the root of all evil. How many of you have heard that? Yeah. That is not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 10, the correct biblical teaching is, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Okay, you get it? It's not the money. It's the love of it. It's misplaced loyalty. Because... The root of all evil, the Bible says, is our sinful hearts that love money too much. Money in and of itself, treasure in and of itself, is not evil. So it is implied by Jesus that we will and that we do store up for ourselves treasure. So the question is, where are you going to store your treasure? Where is your treasure. When Jesus says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth," this is the warning against worldliness. It's a warning against being worldly minded. So this is where we need the heed, the very strict warning from the scriptures about worldliness. First John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17, the apostle makes it very clear are not worldly-minded. So what does this laying up treasures on earth look like? It means seeking after worldliness. It means pursuing worldly things. It means looking to the things, looking to the stuff, looking to all these things and stuff of the world to satisfy your deepest longings. We've all done it. The word for treasure here is an all-inclusive term. The word for treasure does not just mean money. It doesn't just mean possessions. It means seeking after things that belong only to the world and trying to find eternal satisfaction in them, like winning baseball games or grades or that job promotion, or making sure we have the latest fashion. On and on and on we can go. It seems so harmless to seek after happiness in this world. But we know that this will lead to destruction if all we are seeking for is to make ourselves happy. J.C. Ryle, who you've heard me quote over and over and over, said this about worldliness. This is what he says about worldliness. Here is a rock on which many make shipwreck to all eternity. Worldliness is like a rock where many have become shipwrecked in their life, and in their faith, and we've seen it over and over and over. We all have treasures to some degree, and we must be on guard that we are not looking to these treasures for eternal security. Our family, our jobs, our houses, or even our money, we cannot look to them to bring us eternal security. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, he says, not only love of money, but love of honor, the love of position, the love of status, the love of one's work in an illegitimate sense. Whatever it may be, anything that stops with this life and this world, these are the things of which we must be wary, lest they become our treasure." We cannot make the things of the world our treasure. We must be on guard against worldliness. We must be on guard against storing up for ourselves treasures on earth. As Calvin so famously stated, worldly mindedness is a common and fatal symptom of hypocrisy. For by no sin can Satan have a surer and faster hold of the soul under the cloak of a profession of religion than worldliness. How many people have you known, just personally, how many people have you known that have had serious lapses in their walk with God because they love the world more than God? They love their money. They love their job. They love their status. They loved whatever more than God. How many of you have known who have shipwrecked their faith because of that? We must not treasure the things of the world. They will no offer no hope in eternity for us. You know, this is why I tell young men and women this all the time. And I'll tell you, you graduates, you're gonna go off to college, and, and the chances are pretty, pretty high that you may meet your future spouse that God might have a husband or wife in store for you and whom you you meet, whom you get to spend time with and get to know. And here's the, the number one piece of advice I can give you for those of you looking for a spouse. Find a husband or a wife, find someone of the opposite sex who loves Jesus more than you. That they love the Lord Jesus more than you. Their treasure is in Jesus more than you. Conversely, since we are not to store up treasures on earth, Jesus says we're to store them up in heaven. How do we do this? Jesus is teaching that we are going to lay up for ourselves treasures, we're going to store treasures, and we must do it in a place where our treasure will not rot or decay, or depreciate in value. And the only place that we can do that is in heaven itself, the kingdom of heaven. To be sure, Jesus is not saying here that we're somehow to store up treasures like storing up good works here, okay? He is not saying that if we keep doing enough good works, then at the end of the day, hopefully our good works will outweigh our bad works, and then he'll let us into heaven. That is not what jesus is teaching jesus teaches that justification is by faith alone we are saved by jesus christ and his sacrifice alone rather jesus is teaching his disciples to be heavenly minded to not love the world but to love the things of heaven do not love the world rather do things in this life that have eternal value do things in this life that seek heavenly purposes. Paul says it best in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What are the things that equate to storing up treasures in heaven? What are the things that have the promise of an eternal reward from our heavenly Father? Well, let me just name a few for you that refer to storing up treasures in heaven. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses lays out for all of God's people for all of time, We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart. We are to love his word. And we are to teach our children to love God and love his word. That is what matters most, especially for you parents. I know you want your kids to graduate from high school and to get into a good college and to get the scholarship and to do well in sports and all that is well and good, but if that is what you want most for your child. If if you have made sure there was never less than $100 in your child's checking account but have never prayed for them, you're not storing up treasures in heaven. We must do the things with our children that have eternal value. We must store up treasures in heaven like doing everything in life for God's glory. It's okay to have a job. It's okay to be successful at your job and earn a high income. But if that is the means in and of itself, just so you can have a good job and earn a higher income, if that's all you're living for, then you're storing up treasures on earth and not in heaven. If all, if the only reason why you're going off to school is to have fun and party and get out of your parents' house, <laughs> you're not storing up treasures in heaven. What else? What about doing good need, deeds in Jesus' name? Hey, why, why are you helping the poor? Why are you doing that? <laughs> because I love my Savior, and he did this for me. We've remarked and we we pray very safely here every Sunday for persecution around this world, do we not? But I haven't gotten a phone call from any of you being persecuted by ISIS yet. But the Bible says we will be persecuted for Christ's sake, and we must be prepared to lay up treasures in heaven by suffering for Christ. one final way that i will mention that we can lay up treasure in heaven is forgiving one another living out forgiveness forgiving that relative forgiving that neighbor forgiving that coworker forgiving because you have been forgiven in Christ Jesus that is laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven And verse 21 wraps it all up for us. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the key principle. This is the wise proverb here from our Lord Jesus. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. The things or the thing that we treasure the most, that is what will control our lives. That is what will control our values. That is what will control our direction in life. J.C. Ryle says, if our treasure is earthly, our hearts will be earthly also. So I ask you this morning, where is your treasure? Or what are you living for? What's your purpose? Jesus calls us to set our minds and our lives on things that are above, heavenly things, things that have everlasting and eternal value, not temporary things. And you know what these things are. You know these things that have eternal value. At risk of being legalistic, going to church has eternal value getting up for an 8.30 or 9 a.m. service, whatever it may be, has eternal value. Being here on time has eternal value. To worship, to be with God's people, and to worship. Praying with your kids, as I mentioned earlier, has eternal value. Helping the poor, witnessing, being faithful in your marriage. All of these things have eternal value. But you also know the things that are going to, that you also know the things that you are giving your entire existence to that have no heavenly value. Because if all we're living for is sports or the next job promotion or whatever it may be, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The second aphorism that Jesus gives us here is about light. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body in verse 22. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. The eye is the lamp of the body, Jesus says, in the sense that through the eye... Our bodies receive light, our bodies receive information that we need to live and to move and to just go about our being. We need light. So saying that the eye is the lamp of the body is not the pithy saying that we often remember. But if you were a first century Jew, you would know exactly what Jesus was talking about here. Because in in some ancient Jewish literature and in ancient Jewish times you would have understood quite well that the eye is the equivalent to what the scriptures call the heart. Not the organ, the heart, but our heart, all who we are, our, our mind, our emotions, our spirit, all who we are is the makeup of our heart. The heart is the center of our being. All of these things are who we are at our hearts. And so, Jesus, when he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, again, he's getting to the heart. And so, the juxtaposition here in this passage is between light and darkness. Either our eyes will be focused on light, which is good, or our eyes will be taking in and focused on darkness, which is bad. Either our eyes will be focused on light or darkness. So in other words, Jesus is teaching that when it comes to loyalty to God, when it comes to living for the king and his kingdom, we must be focused on light. What is good? We cannot live divided loyalty when it comes to serving God. Either we will be children of the light or children of darkness. The darkness. So, how do you walk in the light? How do you receive the light through your eyes into your body, your whole being? Jesus says, Seek me, seek my kingdom, which is not of this world. We received light by seeking the King in his kingdom. He says if then the light in you is darkness how great is the darkness This is a way of saying that if your life is lived only in darkness or if you're trying to you're trying to live in the light but you're just getting a little darkness over here the darkness will overcome If you're living only for yourself if you're living only for your own glory then the darkness will be great Worldliness, again, will overtake you. If you think that you will be happy because you leave your wife or your husband or your family, because they are, not, because they are making you miserable and you, ha- you want to be happy, then how great the darkness will be. If you think you will be happy by cheating on test and cheating your way through life, then how great the darkness will be. Will be. Children, 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 if you think you will be happy by disobeying your parents, the darkness will be great and you will not be happy. We must go toward the light. We must go toward the good that God teaches us in his word. The final illustration and aphorism there is about slavery. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I think that the great theologian Bob Dylan said it best. You gotta serve somebody. You gotta serve somebody. You're gonna serve something. And so this aphorism gets right to the heart of the problem, right to the heart of the nature of sin. Every day we are faced with the challenge of divided loyalty. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve our idols? Because the truth is, as Calvin once famously stated, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Our hearts are a perpetual factory of idols. We are constantly making idols for ourselves. And Jesus is teaching us, you cannot have divided loyalty. We cannot serve idols and Jesus. You cannot serve money and God at the same time. The Greek word for money here is mammon, which also means possessions, things, idols. You cannot serve money and God too. You must choose. So when it comes to being a follower of Christ, our marching orders are clear. Our mandate is laid out clearly before us. You cannot serve two masters. We are to be singularly focused on worship and serving Jesus and him alone. That is our purpose. You may notice in most of Paul's letters, if you've read through the New Testament. Letters, epistles written by the Apostle Paul where often he says that I am a slave of Christ or I am a bondservant to Christ. This is how we must be. We must be totally submissive to our master, to our king, Jesus, and him alone. If we think we can live the Christian life with just a little bit of Jesus, And a little bit of money and a little bit of success and somehow that'll all mesh together to make it well and good, it will not. We must not live the Christian life with half-hearted devotion to the type of kingdom living that Jesus is calling us to. And if we think we can, we are sorely mistaken. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and success. You cannot serve both God and fame. You cannot serve both God and yourself. D.A. Carson says, either God is served with single-eyed devotion or he is not served at all. Jesus wants to be Lord of all of your life, not just part of it. Our adult classes have been studying the books of First and Second Samuel, which is really just one book in the Bible. And some of you may recall way back when, when we began First Samuel, that Samuel began to be the judge over all of Israel. He was a prophet as well. And he is seeking to turn the people's hearts back to Yahweh their God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, he says this to all of Israel, to all of God's people. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he, do, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. What was the downfall of God's people over and over and over and over in the Old Testament. What was their problem that makes us read our Bibles and go, y'all are so stupid. Why are you doing that? It was half-hearted devotion. Maybe I could serve Yahweh, but you know, these, these fertility gods over here, they look nice too. Maybe we should make sure we give them a little devotion. And again, we look at that and think that's funny. But then let's think of our own lives. We're here on Sunday morning. What idols are we setting up the rest of the week? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Either he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Followers of Christ must serve God alone. Sola Deo Gloria was the call of the Reformation. To God alone be glory. So, what is Jesus teaching by these sayings, by these illustrations? A disciple of Jesus cannot have divided loyalty. But the truth is, we do. We do have divided loyalty. We are tempted by the treasures of the world. We do allow bad light to come into our lives. We do enslave ourselves to idols that bring us down. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's only one thing to do. We must fall down at the feet of Jesus and ask for forgiveness and confess Against you, you only have I sinned. Cleanse me of my sin. Wash me whiter than the snow. And help me live for you, my king, and your kingdom. Go to him and ask him to help you be singularly focused on him and his kingdom. The marching orders for the servant of the king is clear. Serve King Jesus and his kingdom purposes. That is our mandate for kingdom living. Let's pray. Father, it is so convicting. We, we read these words of Jesus and we say, yes, yes, yes. But we also read them and study them and we feel deeply convicted, and deeply troubled, because when we honestly look at our own lives, we see that we have had divided loyalties. And so, Lord, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, that you would remove from our lives anything that is hindering our singular devotion to you and to your glory alone. Help us to love Jesus, our King, more and more every day. And to follow him in his kingdom purposes. We pray this in his name. Amen.